Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that by your grace we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and you have made us citizens in the kingdom of your beloved Son. We thank you that we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. May your Holy Spirit fill us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am grateful for the opportunity to come out of the bullpen and preach today at Apostles. My gratitude is magnified because I've been asked to preach on the topic of the kingdom of God. I've been asked to provide a proper introduction to the kingdom of God. Now, of course, a proper introduction to such a rich and multifaceted topic will necessarily require approximately four hours, (laughs) assuming we take a couple of comfort breaks. However, the micromanagers who make all the decisions in this faith community have cautioned me that my sermon should not exceed two hours. I will endeavor to comply. In order to set the table for this conversation, uh, I would like for all of us to take a pledge together that we will avoid the dreaded and embarrassing is-ought fallacy as defined by Scottish philosopher David Hume. So please raise your right hand, if you would. Some of you not participating in this. You don't want to take this pledge. This is for your own good. I. State your name. Perfect. (laughs) Vouch and affirm that I will not conflate or confuse the way things are with the way things ought to be. (laughs) Well, let me explain. If we have a biblical worldview, a proper understanding of reality, uh, in light of the living and active Word of God, we will never commit the is-ought fallacy because we know the way things are in this broken and rebellious world is not the way things ought to be. God had and has a creative purpose for this world. And that purpose could be uh, expressed with three words, shalom through love. That phrase expresses everything that God is up to in creation. Now, shalom is this amazing word that's hard uh, to translate into the English language, but it, it connotes and denotes peace and justice and human flourishing and harmony with God's beautiful creation. It's the way things ought to be. And of course, God's creative purpose was not to impose shalom against the will of His creatures, of His agents, the man and the woman. God's purpose was to invite them to shalom through love, to choose, to live as creatures, uh, in proper relation to the Creator. 
Shalom through love. And of course, we know as students of Scripture that God's shalom has been vandalized by human rebellion, by this desire for autonomy, for this uh, refusal to live uh, in dependence and trust on the God who made everything. This is the uh, explanation for just about everything that comprises uh, the amazing history of the human race. The vandalization of shalom. And the great story of Scripture, the, the unifying theme of Scripture, is that God endeavors now uh, to restore shalom. We live uh, and experience God's shalom restoration project. That is the story we find uh, throughout uh, the, the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament in the history of the church uh, in its best moments is God's shalom restoration project. And, and this uh, project was uh, spelled out in cryptic uh, language but proper detail in the oracles of the Hebrew prophets. So if we go to our first, uh, first point here uh, about the kingdom of God, <clears throat> is that the kingdom is the telos, the goal, the climax, the target, the consummation of God's shalom restoration project. That is the first point I want to make today. Uh, we'll see how many points I end up making, but we're definitely going to make one within our allocated time. So I want to give you a visual depiction of the prophetic hope for the kingdom of God uh, as spelled out in the Hebrew Scriptures and then as it developed in the conversation among those students of the Hebrew Scriptures in what's known as the intertestamental period. And, and the understanding of history was basically this. There is this age, the age in which we live, an age which is dominated uh, and characterized by sin, sickness, death, enmity, and injustice. That is the status quo uh, in the broken and rebellious, bogus world system. That's not creation as God intended. That's what we find. That is what we live through. Uh, this is what we see and experience. And this age uh, is not in proper relation to the God of creation. Uh, this age has found another God. Uh, Paul refers in 2 Corinthians 4.4 to the God of this age, the God of this bogus world system. Jesus refers to this character who is the archon uh, of the cosmos, of the rebellious world. Uh, this age uh, has chosen uh, and has gone the way uh, of a deceiver, of a diabolos. Uh, uh, and, and this is a terrible situation. Because there are no citizens in this age. There are only hostages. There's a hostage situation. What the, what the prophets saw and what they described in the oracles was the day of Yahweh. This decisive moment when, the, when God would intervene definitively and bring about justice. And that would change everything with a dramatic shift and we would see now the age to come. And the prophets talked about a time when the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit would be poured out. And God would be present in a way that He hasn't been present since the garden itself. And the prophets talked about peace and justice. They talked about this, this reality of shalom that would mark human relations. Uh, 
and restore a proper relationship to creation. This was the hope and expectation uh, that was kept alive for centuries uh, in various uh, uh, terrible circumstances of captivity and, and uh, isolation and rebellion. And this was the prophetic hope that was ripe uh, in the first century uh, in Palestine. So this was the expectation. And this, I think, was what John the Baptist had in mind when he talked about the axe and the winnowing fork and this decisive intervention of justice so you better, you better get ready. Second point. The kingdom of God is already inaugurated, but not yet consummated. This, uh, I, I can't remember how many thousands of dollars I spent for my theological education. I took all the money that I had earned as a police officer uh, in the city of Dallas, working all those extra jobs, eating all those free meals uh, on duty, spending nothing, saving thousands and thousands of dollars back in the Jimmy Carter administration when a man like me could get like 18% on a CD. I amassed a fortune and I blew it all on a theological education. And this is the most important thing I learned. You're getting it today for basically free. The kingdom of God is already inaugurated but not yet consummated. Jesus, when he came, as David preached, said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is present because Messiah is present. That was the proclamation of Jesus. That was the good news that animated the early church. Uh, And yet, the old view of this age and the age to come had to be shifted in light of the reality of Jesus himself. And so we see a different uh, graphic in the second slide. And I hope you can read this. Uh, We see now we still have this age and the age to come. uh, But we now have a a demarcation, a between the times, uh, that begins with the incarnation, uh, the mission, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of Messiah. Uh, And that begins the age to come. And yet, this old age, this old rebellious, bogus world system persists and continues. This is the New Testament reality. This is what was not clear in the Hebrew prophets, but becomes clear in light of the mission and the teaching of Jesus uh, and in the apostles. And so we live in a time when the kingdom is a present reality. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Jesus is calling people together to actively participate by his power in the Shalom Restoration Project. And yet there is so much work to be done. So much unfinished business. We know that victory is certain because Jesus fought the decisive battle to establish the kingdom of God on a Roman cross where the enmity and hostility and pride and arrogance of the bogus world system was overcome by the humility and sacrificial love of God. It's an amazing story we get to tell, a reality in which we get to live. But we don't live in the consummation. We live between the times. Uh, I know know a lot of you went to school after uh, 
American history ceased to be a required topic in the public school system. But some of us grew up at a time when we studied something called the Second World War. Some of us grew up at a time when our dads had fought in the Second World War. That's how old some of us are. And I mean just me, basically, in this room. <laughs> and Oscar Coleman, a, a great New Testament theologian who himself lived through the Second World War, gives us a great uh, illustration uh, from the Second World War of where we are as followers of Jesus. We live between D-Day, the decisive moment when victory was assured in the European theater because five beachheads were established at Normandy. Who knows, who knows the date of D-Day? It was a time when every person knew it. There's a learning man over there, okay? June 6, 1944. Well played. Now, as of D-Day, it was clear how the war was going to end, and yet the war persisted for 11 months until D-Day. And for the New Testament perspective, V-Day is when Jesus returns, and that is the consummation. What does it mean to live as people who live between D-Day and V-Day? To live as people who are, can experience the present reality of the kingdom in the midst of a bogus world system which persists, in the midst of uh, a, a realm, uh, a dominion of darkness that continues. You know, this is the great news in Colossians uh, we, just, we just heard in the text today. We already have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son. That's what Paul means when he says in Christ. To be in Christ is to be in God's kingdom with access to the Spirit of God and with a mission to participate in God's Shalom Restoration Project. We are those people if we're followers of Jesus. And that's an amazing reality. But we live between the times. It's almost impossible for us to get this right. There are two main errors Christians make in failing to understand the significance of the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Uh, one error, which was, can be seen early in the church, the New Testament documents, Paul had to address it, was this idea that the, the perfect has already come. And the future is here in such a definitive way that it, uh, we really have victory every moment of every day. We can have a life without suffering or adversity or hardship. We simply have faith because we live in light of God's victory. This heresy persists today uh, in certain circles that still uh, follow the false teaching of the health and wealth gospel. Uh, their sense of the arrival and the reality of the kingdom that by his stripes we've all been healed. So every one of us should be healed every time. And if you're not healed, there's something wrong with you. You're deficient in faith. That's a heresy. Because that heresy fails to appreciate the not yetness of the kingdom. We live in an age of power. But we still live in an age that's dominated by, by sickness and sorrow and death and separation. And yet we have good news to bring to this age about an ultimate victory. Now the other heresy is the one that has more often than not characterized my own uh, life as a follower of Jesus. And that's the heresy of low expectations. The heresy of faithless fatalism. 
the heresy of Kesara Sarah, the heresy that fails uh, to recognize and, and call on God to make the kingdom a reality now, the heresy that undervalues and underestimates the power of the Holy Spirit now. Somewhere in between the, the hyper uh, uh, craziness of the health and wealth gospel and the kind of defeatism that I succumb to so often is the sweet spot of living as people between D-Day and V-Day. That's what we're looking for at Apostles. We want to get this right. It's constant vigilance to maintain this perspective. Uh, One great passage that summarizes the mission of Jesus into which we get to live as people between the times is the shortest parable Jesus ever told. It's a one-sentence parable. From Mark chapter 3, verse 27. It's a parable about a strong man. Remember this? Say, no one uh, can enter the strong man's house and plunder his stuff unless first, what? He binds the strong man. Jesus was talking about the mission of the kingdom of God. His mission. And in this strange parable... The strong man is not Jesus. Jesus is the one who would invade, bind, and plunder the strong man. And disarm the bogus God of this age with the sacrificial love of the cross. And in fact, that's what Jesus accomplished already. And we get to live in this, in other words, we get to come along behind Jesus and go to these folks who've lived all their lives as hostages And tell them they've been set free. Tell them that forgiveness uh, is theirs. Tell them that wholeness is theirs. Tell them that the shalom of the future can be a present experience. This is the good news we have. Jesus has done the invading, uh, the binding, and we get to do the plundering. We've got the best part of this. So this uh, is our mission And we should live today with the confidence, as we learned uh, in Colossians, as we see in Colossians chapter 1, that God is reconciling all things to himself. We know that victory is certain. And so we should move with confidence in this present age. Not not cowed, not intimidated. You feel like you're an increasingly a dissenting voice in an increasingly hostile culture. Good! That's the way it's supposed to be for the church. Third point. The kingdom of God is not established by human effort. And here I want to just make a distinction between two uh, words that sound exactly alike. Homonyms, as it were. Erupt and erupt. You know the difference? When we think of erupt, what do we think of? What natural cataclysmic event. The volcano, a volcano erupts. It's pent-up pressure from within uh, that explodes and creates this this cataclysm uh, that uh, envelops uh, everything and everyone in its path. That's not the way the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom of God erupts. It breaks in lovingly from the outside into human hearts, into the mess of our lives. We can 
we play no part in establishing the kingdom of God. That is 100% the work of God. 100% the work of Messiah. 100% the work of Holy Spirit. So, let's be clear. Most of the darkest moments in the history of the church uh, uh, can be explained by the fact that groups of professing Christians who seized or, or found themselves in positions of, of political power thought that they could impose somehow the kingdom of God on others through the coercive and violent measures of the bogus world system. Right? Well, I'm right. <laughs> and even our own Anglican tradition is not exempt from this very serious charge. It's not just the Puritans in 1692 in Salem. It's not just the, the Catholics uh, uh, in the late Middle Ages in Spain. You know, it's everywhere. Uh, I see it today uh, as often on the left as the right, more often probably when it comes to my Christian friends, who by the course of power of government want to bring about the utopian of the Green New Deal. Right? <clears throat> this is my old friends uh, from my former church. Uh, who, uh, who had these mistaken ideas of how the kingdom of God erupts. It breaks in by grace. Uh, the utopian delusions of political activists are contrary to the reality of the way the kingdom of God works. Next point. Well, let's go back to the last point. <clears throat> I want to make... I want to make, if, I, just, I forgot, I want to clean this up. Uh, we're going to go through Matthew together, and we'll get to Matthew 13, which has all these stories Jesus tells, these parables that illustrate the surprising nature of the kingdom of God, which does not break into human history with spectacular, triumphant acts. It does not break in in large arenas uh, with uh, smoke machines and pyrotechnics. Uh, the kingdom of God breaks in in quiet, small, and surprising ways. Jesus tells stories about a man just walking along tossing seeds into the ground. Jesus tells a story about a woman uh, who is putting a little yeast uh, in the flour. Jesus tells a story about this treasure which is buried in a, one field somewhere. Jesus tells a story about the smallest seed becoming one of the tallest trees. The kingdom of God is always surprising in that it breaks in in such small ways. Next point, I've got to move quickly. We enter the kingdom by grace through our faith in God's faithfulness. No one has any bragging rights about being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, it's the exact opposite. The, the only way into the kingdom of God is through humility. The only way into the kingdom of God, frankly, if you want to go Game of Thrones here, is to bend the knee to the king. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news, that's a king saying, bend the knee. That's a king saying, let go of your own delusions of autonomy. Uh, stop praying, uh, uh, my kingdom come, my will be done. 
right? Stop praying, let my name be great. And start praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your name be great. Our natural human tendencies, or to this self-deluded, self-obsessed, self-glorification, which is the antithesis of the kingdom. So how can we, as members, participants in God's Shalom Restoration Project, ever carry ourselves with arrogance? And yet somehow Christians manage to do that on a regular basis. The kingdom of God is not about being better than the other guys. It's about recognizing that we're bending our knees together to a gracious king. And we only have access to the kingdom by his grace. Last point. The kingdom breaks in on a daily basis whenever we say yes to the Holy Spirit. This is the opportunity every one of us gets every single day. On a good day, you wake up, right? I always think waking up is is a great way to start the day. (laughs) What I try to do when I wake up is say two things before I do my first push-up or, you know, anything else, right? God, thank you and yes. I don't know exactly what I'm saying yes to at the moment, but whatever you've got for me today, God, I want you to know as I'm starting this day, I want that answer to be yes. I want that answer to be yes. Uh, Because as we learned earlier, the kingdom of God does not break in through spectacular displays of power. It breaks in in our everyday lives as we listen well and we say yes. Every day, the Holy Spirit is prompting you and telling you that you need forgiveness. If you're listening at all, that's something you should hear from God every day. You should say yes and ask forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit is prompting you to forgive somebody else. And you should say yes to that. And when you say that yes, those small acts of faithfulness, the kingdom of God actually breaks in to the human dynamic. Every day, I need to hear a word of grace. And every day, I need to communicate God's grace. And we do this in the rough and tumble stressed out, often contentious human interactions that we have on a daily basis. We should be looking for opportunities to say yes. So forgiveness, grace, encouragement. We need to be encouraged every day. Every day you need to encourage someone. You need to look for someone that can encourage you. Speak a word of blessing every day. Be intentional and purposeful and prayerful as you do. It's these small acts of faithfulness. Let go of the spectacular notions. Remember when the the devil uh, took Jesus to the pinnacle of the tower and said, of the, the temple, and said, throw yourself off. This spectacular demonstration of power will set you up as the definitive king of everything. Well, that's the devil's tactic. Jesus' tactic was to wander through the streets and show grace and love and forgiveness and speak truth, sometimes difficult truth, to people because he loved them so much. 
That's, that's our mission. It's our mission. There's no special training needed for that. Just a willingness to say yes to God and depend on the power of the Spirit. Uh, I'll just close with one, uh, one story. A friend of mine, longtime friend, I mean going back, let's say the early 80s, uh, this young man was a uh, young life leader uh, at Bel Air High School a long time ago, one of the guys who started Young Life at Bel Air High School. Uh, worked at an energy company, uh, uh, raising a family, uh, <clears throat> and learned one day he was uh, losing uh, his eyesight. He was a very young man. And uh, his, his field of vision was shrinking uh, rapidly. And getting down, he knew it would get down to where he could only see just what was directly in front of him, and then in a very, you know, unclear way. This is a, it's a terrible crisis, right? This is, this is evidence that the old age persists. Uh, that's, not, that's not God's will that, a, that a good eyes don't see, that a young father is deprived of his vision and possibly his ability to care for his family. This is the disorder of the present evil age. God's will is to take this disorder and turn it to his glory in redemptive ways. And so Craig uh, uh, gets laid off under suspicious circumstances when his vision uh, continues to deteriorate. Uh, He found a good labor lawyer and negotiated a healthy severance. Thank you very much. And, uh, uh, And he retooled his life. And this guy you know, who was a financial analyst, becomes a massage therapist. Uh, And that was back in the 90s, let's say. Uh, And he's an amazing massage therapist. This is his his ministry. It's his vocation. Uh, He raised uh, great kids and put them through college, uh, you know, giving massages, of all things. But you don't just get a massage with Craig. no matter who you are, when he's working on you, he's working on you. He's praying. His, 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 his massage therapy is the deepest kind of tissue massage because he's calling on the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of the people that hire him you know, for an hour or a half hour. And this is, but this is all in a day's work. When I found out a couple of years ago, which I never knew, and I know Craig well, <laughs> is that at night... After rubbing people uh, hard uh, all day, and that's an exhausting uh, profession, uh, he just would go up to Texas Children's and had, you know, gotten permission just to wander the halls of Texas Children's. Anybody been there? If you had them, I mean, is there more, is there a more amazing or sadder place, right, in the city? It's amazing. And it's so sad. We were there with Margot a couple of years ago. I can't talk about it uh, without crying. She t- turned out great, but it was, you know, several difficult days. And, uh, but as I was up there, I kept looking at all the other families facing these ca- cata- life catastrophes that are beyond description. Evidences that an enemy, that we're still in enemy territory. Evidences that God's will is still not done as it ultimately will be in this bogus world system. 
So Craig wanders the halls of Texas Children's. I found this out because Margo was there. And he just comes in. And if a, if a mom or a dad could use a massage, well, they have no idea what a rub down they're getting from Craig. I mean, they know this is an act of grace, of generosity. He doesn't hand you a Bible tract, uh, but he prays and he rubs well. Kingdom of God breaks in in such small and anonymous ways. This will never go viral. He'll never be insta famous. It's a secret, basically, that I'm exposing today. This is the life we get to live, though. If we say yes to the Holy Spirit, yes to the nowness of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the kingdom is already inaugurated. May we live uh, out that reality with courage. And Father, I thank you that the ultimate victory is certain. May we live between the times with faithfulness. We pray that we will be a people who together say yes to your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.